It's Pretty Little Grown Men, the Podfectionists. I'm David Greenwald. And I'm Dom Sinicola. I feel like that was like the Fonzie does a podcast intro. This episode, <laughs> Fonzie just cracking a beer and being like, hey, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> yep, that was my hitting the jukebox. Um, Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 88 of Pretty Little Grown Men. Yes. Episode 10 of Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionist, season finale. Yeah, season finale uh, entitled, I think, Enter the Professor or something. Wait, is it Enter the Professor? That sounds vaguely sexual. It could be Who's Your New Professor, the wonderful Sam Prekoff album from uh, (laughs) 2000. Who knows? Maybe 1999. Oh, it's man. one of his one of his solo albums. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember that. That's classic a, records. Dad, that's a dad rock classic. Um, man, Sam Precop from uh, shit. What was that band? The C and K. C and K. Yes. What a good band. <laughs> it's total total indie rock, classic rock at involved, this point. Yeah, involved with Tortoise. You know, I've seen Tortoise live. Uh, I think five times. Oh really? Yeah, they're one of the the bands that I've seen the most live. Huh. Um, next to Spoon, Spoon and Tortoise are the two bands that I've seen the most. I think both around five times. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Spoon I have seen a ton. Tortoise I never really got into. I do like the C and Cake a lot and that whole Jim O'Rourke and that whole Chicago vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tortoise is great live, mm-hmm. really great. Um, and that's probably the best way to see them. Like I, I was never a huge fan of their records, which I like. You know, I like the records fine but seeing them live is is where they really uh come out of their shells <laughs> if you will <laughs> a zinger uh, a zinger on this podcast episode we uh, have jokes we do we, have we, a full-time, we, we try we have a full-time writer's room on this show we're editing no we're not we don't do any of that stuff i was i was trying to explain to um i went to lunch with our mutual friend uh dave ritter uh, who's oh. in the band The Strombellas, touring North America as we speak, if mm-hmm. you can go catch them. Uh, excellent band. Um, but I was he was had an idea for maybe thinking about a podcast, and I was telling him, you know, you can make it pretty easy on yourself if mm-hmm. you just do what me and Dom do and just talk for an hour and don't edit anything and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just, just hope it's, like, entertaining enough for somebody <laughs> to care about it, which is maybe not the best advice to someone to start yeah. a podcast but mm-hmm. anyway well um here you we know. are at the end of the I, sh- I should tell everybody that i had three different caffeine sources today that's um, okay and i don't feel great at all <laughs> so i just want to mention that before we get deeper into this podcast when you described how much ca- uh caffeine you had today i was like oh that sounds like a normal morning for me oh really yeah <laughs> no it's like you got a sensitive tum-tum it's I just feel like I'm going to throw up or cry. <laughs> One of those two things. Usually I would feel super jittery, but I think since I had the afternoon chai, which was like the mistake that pushed me over the edge, uh, I had the hubris to think I could handle it today, but I, I did not. And in like three hours from now, I'm going to be lying in bed like, what is going on? <laughs> so I did like say that you you feel like you're either going to throw up or cry. It makes you sound like you're pregnant. No, not me. <laughs> no. I'm not the pregnant person in the house. <laughs> um, so, uh, season finale, episode 10. Speaking of writer's rooms, um, I don't know. Th- there, is, there, are some, there are some weird things in this episode. Uh, 
it it was fine. You know, it ended. That they set themselves up for a second season. Um, maybe you know, I I guess I brought up the whole writers' room thing because of a specific line that I felt felt just like stood out in a really weird way, and maybe described how I felt about a lot of the writing on this whole series. Right. Um, which the the anecdote that I'm specifically referring to is when Caitlin is describing to Allison um, what she meant by unconventional, that Allison is an unconventional mentor or an unconventional teacher. And uh, so Caitlin tells the story that her mom has brought her to a boxing match when she was, or brought her to boxing matches when she was younger. And um, that uh, one of the fighters was described as unconventional, but he always won because the other fighters could not, didn't know what to expect from him. And it just felt like such a, it's just such an odd anecdote because it's, you understand what the point of it is, but then when you actually think about the anecdote itself, you're like, what what the fuck does that mean? Right. And she says, this is pretty weird now that I think about it, but this is this thing that was created for my backstory so I could communicate it to you. Right. Exactly. It, It reminded me of, um, in the Dark Knight Rises, like the story that Batman is told about Bane or the, or the mm-hmm. person who escapes from the weird prison thing that yeah. like was an extremely silly thing for to be in that movie. It's like it just um, felt like super mythological to me in a yeah. way. It feels like reverse engineering, where which is maybe not the best thing to do when you're writing characters, but you essentially have an idea of where you want the character to get. And so you just have to like concoct some way that they get to this point. And I mean, that describes this whole season of Game of Thrones, basically. Yes, it does. Um, and so it just feels weird. Cause it's like, you, we need somehow to describe why these kids look up to Allie, despite the fact that Allie admits finally, and this is, this is the a weird kind of um, synchronicity where, Allie admits that she's a broken person and we've been calling her broken this whole freaking podcast. It's your favorite catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is my favorite cat. You, you hear me on the streets saying Allison De Laurentiis is a broken person. Right. Just right. In, on the streets. Um, I mean, don't we, you know, my, my, uh, toddler has, she actually, she's cooled off on saying it since we started calling it her sitcom catchphrase, but it's like the Olsen twins on full house where she'll say, uh, that didn't work. <laughs> and it's just like, Oh my God, you, you need to be like on a daytime like afternoon ABC show in 1995. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that didn't work. That cuts so much deeper than, well, cut it out or yeah. you got it, dude. <laughs> or yeah. Right. Well, you know, so I think, I think what I'm trying to say here, Dom, is that everyone has their own sitcom catchphrase. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I finally have mine. <laughs> um, but it's it's just it's like it's it doesn't feel it just doesn't feel right it or not right as in like a moral choice but maybe right as in like a a smart earned character choice right I mean the thing that you would expect like if I was you know uh, part of the Game of Thrones discourse that I thought was interesting was this idea of like well you're not a screenwriter how can you critique this show because you could never write it and it's mm-hmm. like let's pretend I'm a screenwriter for two seconds and how I would write this scene is I would have Caitlin say, you're resilient. Mm -hmm. You 
knew what to do. You were you didn't break under the pressure. Yeah. You protected us. Uh, you're unconventional because a lot of teachers would have just looked the other way and not gotten involved in something outside of school, or would not wouldn't have realized what we're actually going through. Right, the, the but pressure you, of what but we're you, you understood it. Right, I think that's that's a that's a great idea. Resilience, when really, you know, yeah, exactly, because there's got to be something there. I don't know. I mean, it's you know, no, I I understand what you're getting at. Is it was this moment? I mean, we're watching it, and we were both kind of like this is a super weird bit of writing and I'm not sure what it's trying to get at with Allison. Like she's uniquely herself. Like she acts in ways, unpredictable ways like mm-hmm. that. That's not necessarily like a reading of the character. That's not like a deeper, I mean, you're describing a pattern of behavior, but it doesn't actually speak to who she is. Well, so, you know? so I think this might speak to, um, here's me reverse engineering a theory. But this might speak to um, the way that the show operates and why maybe, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like this show is, um, there have been times that I've really enjoyed it while watching it, but I just don't, I just don't feel satisfied by it. And I I think that that has to do with the fact that um, it wants, so... I was reading, as I was telling Dave before we started recording, we I was reading an interview that was conducted with Marlene after the finale aired uh, last night, and um, she uh, was asked. To, she was asked all these questions that you could probably guess many of the answers to, um, just about like you know they they're they're expecting a second season renew, but it hasn't happened yet. They're going. Um, to pitch the second season uh, soon to the network, I would imagine that they they probably do have another season um, in them, uh, despite uh, less than stellar ratings. Um, but um, then I think the network believes in the brand um, and still has a pretty big social media presence. But um, she said uh, the 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 interviewer asked her. I wish I could remember the actually the the outlet, but the interviewer asked her, you know, so this is this what an interesting new AA character with this professor, um, you know, like it's just it's cool that you finally revealed, you know, this the new A, um, and Marlene uh, didn't correct her at all, but was just saying, or I'm, I I shouldn't say her, I don't know who the author was, but uh, didn't correct the the interviewer at all and said, yeah, yeah, you know, we we sat around and excuse me, something along the lines of like, we sat around and we were trying to figure out what the new A would be. And when we came upon the professor, we knew it was a great choice. And yeah, like the professor is an interesting idea, but you're just trying to make pretty little liars again. Right. And, and so, which is, which is the main fault of the whole show because you know where you want to get to, you want to get to this place where, the main characters are being manipulated by some overarching force. And that overarching force um, has uh, uh, ulterior motives um, that we're not quite privy to, but somehow involves, you know, uh, controlling these people. Well, I think, right. And I think what this episode showed us with the idea of the professor and the idea that, okay, you're all under surveillance and we have this, bad stuff and to blackmail you. And so you have to do what we say positioning that as a 
you know, experiment and kind of touching back on like the underground lair kind of stuff we saw from the first episode without actually showing us any of that again, mm-hmm. which is very frustrating, but giving you that sort of sense of like the surveillance culture uh, and so on. I mean, that is interesting sort of in and of itself, but in the context of the show, we're now ra- watching a show where the themes are not really, you know, friendship or growth or solving a mystery or right. a slasher movie or any of these things. This is now just a show about people like being tortured over long periods of time and like basically psychological horror, you right. know, and that is with the sort of confirmation of that in this episode, it's like how many more seasons of people just like having a shitty time and <laughs> trying to overcome it like unsuccessfully do I want to watch, you know, right. cause that's not really a mystery show anymore. Yeah. That's not really a show where you're wondering what happened to Alison De Laurentiis, you know, now it's just like a show about people having a, shitty time well see so what i see is they have the end result and they have to reverse engineer it and that's why it, it feels like the the writing has been especially workmanlike I, uh, i'm gonna say workmanlike to be uh charitable <laughs> yeah, um, <to> be generous <laughs> um shout out to my uh my friend kyle from college <laughs> who has a writing credit on this episode uh has had several this season i'm, yeah. I'm proud of him i wish we were Wish we had nicer things to say about the screenwriting on, on the show, but you know, well, what can so, I? What can we do? So I think that a lot of things um, that I think felt unearned were exactly the things that had to be reverse engineered in order to get to this point. Two things uh, to me stand out a lot. One is why the fuck Allison is in this place at all and why she stays there. And I think in order to justify that, you have to bring her to a place where she finally admits that she's a broken person which they did, but also like, I feel like they're, they're constantly just like having Allison in these situations where she has to, like, she says like, yeah, I shouldn't be here, but I'm going to stay here because I need a new start. And so I think that like, uh, ending that relationship with Emily was a way to keep her in Beacon Heights. The other thing is, is, is everything having to do with Dana Booker, which we learned in this episode was constructed that way to bring the, the perfectionists, the, the lie perfectionists. Uh, what did, you called them something last week? That I thought was perfect. I think it was like liar, liar, affectionist. Uh, who can remember? <laughs> I don't. We were recording. We did two pods last week, <laughs> uh, as regular listeners of the pod will remember. And I definitely, oh, I was, I was telling uh, Dave Ritter the other day that I thought, you know, I feel like most episodes, like we're pretty focused. I think we come out with a pretty good pretty good banter you know there's some ums and uhs and so on but you know i think someone can listen to it and have a pretty Mm -hmm. entertaining uh experience with the podcast but i did feel i was telling dave like you know you could tell we do two episodes in a night (laughs) and it starts to get up to you know 11 11 30 which is a couple hours past my dad bedtime Mm -hmm. i you know felt. i mean i was i was tired (laughs) we were a little bit tired last week anyway you can restart to just like fall asleep that's when i think when we're really tired is when the episodes start to just creep out to like hour hour 15 (laughs) hour 30 it's like oh we're just still talking about stuff that's cool so um everything with 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 dana booker like they admit it in this episode ava says it and uh and caitlin says it which is you know you tried to break us apart but all it did was bring us together 
and the and line that of dialogue feels like the whole fucking point of Dana Booker, right? Well, and the line of dialogue about uh, that I think a couple of the characters say like, "Now I have these friends who are like my family." Yeah, now I have a family, and you know, mom, you might be my biological family, but now I have a real family here at BHU, right? Um, right. Or or dad, uh, Ava's dad, like dad you're a manipulative son of a bitch and you only wanted this money and you were lying to me the whole time. You're not my real family. You know what a real family feels like? My new best friends. Right. Who are like my fake, my fake friends from two weeks ago who now I'm eternally bonded to right. through literally like, you know, half a, half a semester of being like abused and manipulated. Well, that's one thing that Marlene ad- admits in uh, this interview. She says, uh, well, she quotes it as, as time moves slow at Beacon Heights. I don't think the time moves slow. It's just that all this stuff happens like very closely lined up. And so over the course of 10 episodes, we're talking about maybe two weeks or something, you know? So, um, so like Nolan just fucking died and thinking like (sighs) dream, uh, you know, spoiler alert, dream logic, but like thinking about the way that all this plays out, that, you know, time moves slowly that it all, you know, that it happened over maybe a few weeks, like a a month at most. And like, no one's been dead for a month. And, and people like, if, if you were to think about it that way, it's like, Oh, all this like illogical, unreasonable actions and and emotions. It makes a lot more sense because all these people are dealing with grief, but I don't think the show actually acts that way. The show acts no. like it happened like years ago. Well, and it's the the feeling of the show in the first in the certainly I think in the pilot and in the first few episodes was there were there were these flashes to me of like the show maybe not taking itself quite as seriously, mm-hmm. wanting to be I mean certainly a sexier show uh, and to be just a little bit more like knowing and and charming maybe instead of being like a straight. Uh, a show about being scary or, or, you know, dealing with some of these horror tropes that we've, we've discussed many times. And by the end of it, it doesn't really want to do any of those things. Right. It sounds to be a straight up thriller drama. Right. Like a melodrama. Right. And it's just like, I guess I'm actually not, it it did finally settle on a genre, which is something we've talked about. It's like, what is, where is the show landing? What is going on? And suspense thriller is just, I mean, it almost feels like, uh, like a saw movie or something, but in a psychological way, right? And it's like, I would probably watch next season. I don't know if we'll have the if we'll be compelled to feel like we need to podcast about ten more hours of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like I give this show. Somebody was asking me the other day, who was a Pretty Little Liars watcher, like, you know, what do you think? Uh, we we've been skipping it. And I said, you know, seven out of ten, six point mm-hmm. eight out of ten. Yeah. You know, it's like if you were interested in Mona and Allie, they're great characters and they continue mm-hmm. to be charming uh, performers and everything. But, um, you know, it is pretty repetitive and steers away from sort of the genre things. I think certainly I liked about PLL into like yeah. more of just a less interesting, more like unpleasant thing. I mean, I don't really want to watch these characters get tortured for another season and try to solve it so that they can have like a bigger, more tortury person show up at the end of season two. Like what, why would I, why, why would I watch that? Why is that entertaining? Well, it's, it's, it's just, I just, it's such an artificial challenge is the thing. It's work. It's workmanlike. And I say workmanlike because it's just like, I don't, I don't know any other way to describe 
how this show exists, which is it's just trying to to respark the already I'm, I'm you know mix the fuck out of some metaphors here. It's going to respark the already very shallow well, drying well that is that is that is the Pretty Little Liars universe. It's trying to do the same. It's trying to make magic out of the same shit. And um, I, I, and I know I sound harsh, but well, I, I just and I would say, despite the best efforts of a lot of nice actors, uh, yes, you know, directors, it's all done very well. It's all yeah. it's like they know what they're doing. It's just unfortunately what they're doing is the exact same shit, and so it's kind of like there's it's there's no point to a spinoff besides that the, there aren't any characters because once you actually think about it, it's like it's exactly like fucking Pretty Little Liars, and they want to get to the exact same space, and for some reason we have the same characters doing the exact same things. At no point do does Ali or Mona say like, do you get the feeling that like. I mean, they do imply they do imply that that Allie is basically being set up for something, right? That, like there there are there are machinations going on that that brings Allie to this place when she into got this hired. sort of vaster conspiracy. But it's like, I mean, we we mentioned uh, we talked about the X Files comeback, yeah. I think in the last couple of weeks, yeah. and not the latest season, but the one before, where basically mm-hmm. you have one episode, the pilot saying, wow, here's this crazy new conspiracy, yeah. totally ignored till the end of the season, mm-hmm. and then another episode about the conspiracy yep. slash mythology. And this episode didn't even really do that because there was yep. no nod to this like crazy bunker reveal from the premiere. And it's no. just like, and there was also no nod to Mona talking to mirrors and all that shit. Nope. Which to me, it's like, okay, maybe this was a good idea in the pilot and you went a different direction, but that's pretty fucked up to me then because you've really you've set up this whole this you've set up this thing around beacon guard that basically appears to be abandoned throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the season as right. far as who's actually using beacon guard what the point of it is uh you set up this thing about mona being on on the ball with them or you know involved with them yeah that is now basically uh totally ignored right i will say at the end uh, when they're trying to decide what to do, how to deal with this new professor, Mona is the one who's pushing it. Who's being like, we need to figure out how to, how to do whatever. And you need to, yeah, yeah I know what to do. Yeah. And it's like, is this because you, you know, have mental health issues and you're obsessed with like puzzles and trying to solve these things. Um, I and mean, you're an obsessive person. Right. Or is this because of the stuff we saw in the pilot, which the show has forgotten about, which is that you are working actively with this conspiracy group. And it's like, I don't really want to spend 10 more hours finding out mm-hmm. because the show doesn't seem that interested in pursuing those ideas. And it's like, well, those were interesting. And if you don't care about them and you're going to dangle them, then that like feels insulting to me as the viewer who watched the pilot and sat through all these episodes to see if you were going to expand on any of that. And you didn't. I agree. I, I feel especially, and I said this, I don't know why this gets to me so much. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of uh, a lot of time thinking about it and self-reflecting in order to figure out why it bothers me so much. We're going to do four more hours about this about this topic. So the thing that I cannot get over is just everything having to do with Dana Booker. In this episode, I feel like uh, just just like so shoddily dealt with everything. I mean, the whole issue, the whole uh, series has been why 
Dana Booker, who is a disgraced FBI agent. She's it's not that she it's not that she is no longer an FBI agent. She's a fucking disgraced FBI agent. Like she was kicked out of the FBI. Um and yet somehow she has uh crime fighting jurisdiction over every law enforcement officer, not only in the Pacific Northwest, but like apparently every federal agency that would get involved with something as big as like Ava, Ava being on campus and having all this money and stuff. So, you know, even when you move past that, Dana Booker has Ava's money, which she hasn't turned in. It's discovered that uh, Dana Booker could possibly get fired soon by Claire Hotchkiss because of a dereliction of duty and essentially, like, framing, attempting to frame these kids, uh in this murder investigation evidence comes out that they didn't have anything to do with the murder apparently. And at no point does Ava or anybody say like this person took a lot of money from me. Now you could argue that Ava is like, well um, I can't make a fuss about it because if I do, then I'll just reveal that it's not, it's stolen money in the first place. But it's like the fact that Dana Booker has it and hasn't turned it in is puts her it makes her just as culpable as Ava does. Right. As right. Ava I, yeah, is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's now involved in like doing a crime. She's like she's yeah, and, and she says, Oh, maybe I'm gonna buy a pair of shoes with it. It's like that's a fucking crime. You're you're committing just as much of a fucking felony right. as Ava is paying for school. Yeah, the the Dana Booker character, like the character ultimately being incompetent and getting shown up was was fine. That was a nice moment, but it's just like yeah, the whole thing about the jurisdiction and, you know... She's goes, there at the at the, at the the crime scene when Jeremy gets shot. She's there questioning the fucking perfectionist. And you're like, why didn't any cop come over and just be like, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? Who are you? Who are What's you? Why on? are you questioning them? Like, yeah. we're going to take them down to the station. Or, or, or also, like, um, this is, this appears to be the second, uh, case of, uh, um, near murder... Or like, what is going on? Where in the over the course of a month, uh, someone is murdered, um, uh, and then their sister is out like shooting people. Yeah, and then yeah, and then her yeah, exactly. It's like what is going on here? The federal government would get involved, especially if they're already involved, because they. I mean, how can they not know that Ava is at that school? Well, right, and the most interesting character on the show is on top of the fact that a fucking u.s senator knows that ava is at that school right yeah i mean yeah there's a lot of layers but uh you know taylor was kind of the most intriguing character of the new characters right i mean she's this child former child genius who created she's batman this, right, As we discussed right. she's batman literally batman and the person who was driving a lot of the plot i think sort of behind the scenes like looking for taylor etc and she just basically gets shipped off into, you know, a center, into whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, for the entire episode. And we don't see her. We have no idea what's going on with her. And it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, maybe she won't even show up on the next season. You know, I mean, it's like it doesn't really leave her her arc in a satisfying way. I mean, it feels like it does a real disservice to her, to someone who's been through a lot of traumatic things and uh, was literally like living out in a trailer for for weeks and has to deal with her brother's murder and uh, just basically falls apart and shoots somebody and then gets shipped off. It's like, that's not really 
that wasn't very satisfying to me at all. Right. No. No, not at all. I mean, I just, I just don't. The show is just so quick to end up being like, well, this person is crazy, you know, uh, or this person has like significant mental issues that we're not going to portray in a, any kind of a like uh, healthy or reasonable way. Well, I mean, there's, there's also the dramatic irony of, you know, the fact that we know that Jeremy didn't, you know, before it, the, it, it dawned on all the, the friggin' geniuses in the show that it wasn't Jeremy who killed Nolan. Like we knew that both because we know the tendency of the show to uh, have its characters go full all in on some sort of uh, uh, tenuous theory about who who killed whom right but also um uh the fact that it makes no fucking sense for jeremy to kill nolan and and yet they have (laughs) such i just i can't get over this because i just feel like this is just so shoddy and it's just it just it just feels lazy so essentially the episode begins um with dana booker questioning everybody just as like literally as uh dylan is being or not dylan as jeremy is being put uh, eddie redmayne is being put into the ambulance and being carted away and uh dana says you know i'm sorry uh i I realized that uh, you didn't you didn't uh kill nolan and i'm sorry about that i messed that up and then uh, everyone's like yeah you know and, and you should you should know that you messed up because it was Jeremy who killed Nolan and Dana's like yep i know it was Jeremy who killed Nolan and right, then Ava right. hands hands uh hands Dana uh what i think is the uh, what, like the evidence from Beacon Guard that is like the, the gate how he walked right. and that that he was by the the place where Dylan died or Nolan died um not long before Nolan actually died. Right. And and so Ava hands it to Dana Booker and it's like, here's the evidence that Jeremy killed Nolan. And you're like, that is uh, tangential at best. That would never hold up in a court of law. Right. But yet somehow everyone is just like, yep, Jeremy killed Nolan. And it's like... Thanks for solving this mystery. I'm Jeremy, Claire Hodgkiss. Right. If, <laughs> if Jeremy fucking killed Nolan, none of this would play out like it, like it did. Like... Uh, Caitlin would be held for questioning. All of them, all of them would be held for questioning. Right, but uh, that's not convenient to wrapping up one era of the story arc and lulling them into a false sense of security before bringing in more problems. Which I just think is such bullshit. I don't like. I just don't. I'm well, just, it's just playing out the same scene, right? It's over just the same and over shit. and over. And it's really. I mean, this season ultimately like was really predictable. Like we knew, obviously, Mason's not going to be a real villain. Right. Obviously, Jeremy's not going to yeah. end up being. The real villain, like, of, of course, because right. that's what the show does. And the thing that was really exciting to me about the pilot was it felt like with the underground lair and the Mona yes. thing, it was just like, wow, this show is going to go in some different directions and it's really going to open up and have some bigger ideas maybe. And then we watched it and it did. not I mean, there are so you many, know? there are so many themes set up, especially in the original Pretty Little Liars that this show could, could really play with. And it takes the easiest route, which is let's just rehash the fucking show that we're based on. And I'm really disappointed by that. And I'm also really fucking bored by it. I'm kind of glad that the season is over. I was just kind of bored a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I just think that there's so much talent put into making this show 
that this feels like the easiest possible plot that could have been created. And I really, really wanted this feels bad because I know that people who are going to listen to this, I just, I'm, I'm always such a fucking Debbie Downer about this shit. But, um, speaking of uh, quoting the TV show, I'm, I'm just like Allison. I'm a fucking Debbie Downer, but I just really, really, I think that there's so much talent that could go in the show to make this show an, an actual spinoff that, that is actually different, that provides a new kind of story within the same universe and instead, it's just rehashing the same shit. Right. And and I just and I'm just disappointed that like these these great really like worn characters where these actors have been playing them for almost a decade, Mona and Ellie, and yet somehow, well, not a decade, but like six or seven years, but um, they they deserve better than this. Like I really just want to know their characters better and and not the same situation. Right. I agree. You know, and I, I just, and it just sucks that like, this is where we're at, where it's like, we have another A, who gives a fuck? I really honestly don't give a shit who the professor is. Right. I mean, it's not interesting. No, it's not. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not, it's just a plot device to create the same feedback loop over and over and over. And I mean, I think part of it too. We're not going to get invited back to the set now. No. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it was very nice to get to go. Uh, and, and we appreciate it and. You know, we, we didn't sign it. We signed, we didn't sign anything. We didn't sign up to be, uh, you know, I mean, we watched the show. We started watching this podcasting about the show cause we really liked it and it was really good for a long time. And we came into this show, you know, expecting, hoping to see more of the things that we liked from talented people and yeah. whatever. And, uh, you know, it didn't get there for us and that's okay. But uh, part of it too, mm. is that I, I felt like we did get burnt out on pretty little liars because we were inspecting it more thoroughly as podcasters than you might just watching whatever for fun. I mean, maybe that's not true because certainly I've thought a whole shit ton about Game of Thrones over the last few weeks mm -hmm. because you're watching it every week. You're invested in it. Yeah. But I do think there is the aspect of like watching it every week and doing this podcast, which we do for fun. Like it still ends up becoming uh homework in a way mm -hmm. it still ends up becoming like you're not necessarily hyped to unless the show is really great you know there is going to be some element of of exhaustion that creeps in but uh i think if the show had just been better and i you know not had all these multiple issues that we've brought up uh it would be we would be more stoked for next season as opposed to being like yeah yeah i you know and i i gotta say i like the idea of of this um, this university, which you know, we 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 have teased having certain people on the, on the podcast. Uh, two two people, uh, Mark Abraham and Alexis uh, Gunderson, who um, is a writer at Paste and has written about both Pretty Little Liars and uh, The Perfectionists. And uh, unfortunately, I feel like this just not going to happen because because I just I don't know. It's hard enough to get together one night a week to do this. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've had a sort of a little bit of a choppy schedule, even yeah. this season doing 10 episodes. And it's like, and so organizing, uh, some, some very intelligent people to get on the podcast, just feels like effort that is just not going to come together. And we well, don't there's really, there's just more productive things that we could be talking about too. Right. You know? And I mean, also like we don't have anything to offer people. I wish we could like pay people to be on this podcast, you yeah. know, but we don't have that obviously. Um, 
But but I don't you know it's also like does it does this show need people to be really recapping and getting into it and you know I was like looking up stuff about the finale last night uh, because I thought ah whatever I'm just gonna spoil it for myself and yeah. see what's up and that shows you how invested I am in the show right <laughs> that I was ah whatever just tell me what happened yeah. and did not really find a lot of stuff you know found a couple things at the top of Google and you know certainly wasn't like a PLL season mm-hmm. finale yeah. where the internet is like on fire about it, right. you know? And so just the fact that this, you know, it's just not as, uh, as watched or as, uh, engaged a show. Uh, that's, that's fine too. I mean, you still have people who are like, I'm going to burn down this fucking world. If, uh, Allison and Emily don't get back together. I mean, w- one of our followers on Twitter who is probably listening to this, uh, did say that they're like, I'm, I'm done with it. Like Marlene ruined Emerson and, you know, it's like if that's what you're watching the TV show, then I can imagine that you would be very disappointed by this. But um, I mean, that's how I felt. That's that's how I feel about Game of Thrones, like just completely pooping on uh, Khaleesi. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do. I, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I we've asked ourselves this before, and I don't think that my opinion has changed. And when I say like if you asked me what I watched this, if I wasn't, wasn't podcasting with you about it. I don't think that I would. No. Um, or I, 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 maybe I would like in a few months where I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm ready to go see what this was, what was about and maybe just watch it at my own pace and not, but I wouldn't have watched it like every week dedicated right. the same way I did pretty little liars. I, I have a real with TV shows. I do have like a level of FOMO, like not that other people are watching something, but more that like, it becomes like a money pit kind of thing where you, you know, that movie, the money pit mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, where you have to keep putting money into the fucking house. Right. And that's how I kind of feel with TV shows where well, I've watched it this long. I better, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would really, I want to know, I still want to know what happens. I right. do have, I have that inertia and, Oh, excuse me. Also some burps. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I mean, really the amount of shows where I was like, I just don't want to watch this anymore. I can count on one hand. Like the office is the one that comes to mind mm. where season, like before Michael left, even oh. I, it just got so sort of shitty that mm-hmm. I couldn't, couldn't watch it anymore yeah. after thinking it was like the best show on TV. Yeah. I, I mean, so, so what are the shows that you have? devote a lot of time to but then gave up on i mean literally that one like i don't know i can't think of another one that where i watched it for i mean there's been actually a few in the last couple years Mm -hmm. just because i have a kid and i was freelancing and just didn't have the same amount of time to watch stuff like we a lot of the netflix shows i haven't seen the last one or two seasons of um orange is the new black and yeah after you know we just became saturated with so many shows in the last few years it feels like there's somehow four more four times the amount of shows that there were well it feels too i mean i can so the the shows that i've given up on i think i i'm a bit more aware of one of them is um uh uh scandal Mm -hmm. which i watched like three seasons of and then just gave up on um one of them is uh uh um designated survivor Right. Uh, with Kiefer Sutherland, which is uh, just another show that I just kind of gave up on. And I think the pattern amongst these shows that I just give up on is that repetition where it's just like at some point the same things start happening and it all just kind of blurs together and I don't remember many plot details. 
and it's just and I just and it sucks that like on this 10 episode season of this show that five years ago would have been 23 episodes um I felt burned out by like episode three or four right where I'm just like oh I see what they're doing they're just fucking rehashing pretty little liars I'm I, I just I'm not I don't have there's nothing here for me anymore right um I mean it's it's you know the serial show I think the shows that I have been really interested in watching for long periods uh it's either it is something serial like game of thrones or mm-hmm. whatever where you become super invested in the characters and even if the plot moves a little slow as long as it's going in the right direction that's all fine yeah but i think the shows uh the serialization of shows has it keeps you it makes it harder to make a good show Mm-hmm. Because it essentially build this canon, and you accumulate canon, and you don't know how when the story's going to end, and it really creates a lot of problems or yeah. difficult challenges, I should say, in right. terms of screenwriting and character development and so on. Whereas if you go to a show like Seinfeld, uh, or even a show like, um, I'm trying to think of a, uh, an example of a show that, uh, like Star Trek: The Next Generation, where essentially every week is a new show. Yeah. Right. Every week is its own thing. What happened last week? You're in the same universe. It's the same characters. But, you know, Star Trek uh, episodes are essentially a sitcom episode. Right. Like you, you're there to hang out with the characters. It's the monster of the week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or X-Files, too. It's like the right. mythology stuff is great. But, you know, that stuff is ultimately did not come across, did not end up as well as like just the single episodes of the X-Files where they investigate a case and something good happens. Oh, the, the best X-Files you know? episodes are Monster of the Week episodes. Um, and so those, yeah. those, that kind of TV making um, where things do sort of happen as B-plots in the background, like Law & Order SVU is a great example of that, where these characters do grow and do have lives and you get to go on that journey with them, but mostly it's other stuff happening. Right. And that kind of TV show, I think it's easier to have longevity and have lots and lots of great episodes and come up with fresh things, even though you're telling more stories somehow mm-hmm. than stacking on one big story after another and trying to, you know, steer the ship in the right direction because so many of these serial shows just seem unable to, uh, to land it or to, you know, to stumble, to, to get to the finish line in like a, in a interesting way. Yeah. Um, it does feel, and, and it felt like this for the perfectionists, which is, it does feel like it starts out as a really well-paced kind of situation. And then towards the end of the, the season or the show, in the case of like Game of Thrones or, or Lost or whatever, it feels like it's like, oh, we have all these threads that we need to tie up and we're realizing that time is running out. And so we have to start throwing a lot together. And that's part of what felt very, um, I don't know uninteresting about this finale is that it's just felt like a lot of threads being tied up um in a way where it's like you knew how they're gonna get tied up anyway um same thing with game of thrones really where it's just like you knew what threads they had to tie up and essentially the the last episode was just tying up threads um i the one thing the one point that i wanted to make was when i brought up uh um, mark especially is that he talked to us he said something on twitter because he listened to our last episode and heard us mention him when we were talking about shipping. And uh, he did mention <laughs> that he could, he had something to talk about like two hours about uh, uh, how this college is being run. Because Mark works, works at a college. Um, uh, I mean, I think he still does. 
Um, but uh, the 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 one thing that I think is interesting about this the, that conceptually is interesting about BHU is that it could be its own strange hermetically sealed world that logically tracks with especially with all the issues that we have with like law enforcement and Dana Booker and all this shit like that it's almost like in this like weird not like surreal universe to, of its own right you know but then it's not then you have like georgetown and a u.s center and all well, this other right. stuff that it doesn't but that's the thing is like it doesn't actually it doesn't actually follow through on that like you know like you want them to like step off campus and it's like beetlejuice stepping out like you know they've ever seen beetlejuice before i've actually never seen it oh my god it's such a good movie but like the the whole idea is that there's these uh this dead couple and they're kind of in purgatory and stuck inside this house which is the house that they had before they died and when they step outside, uh, it's like this weird sand world with like weird sandworms and something. So it's like they're stuck. And if they step outside the house, they're like, and so I just imagine like if, if, if these, if the perfectionists step outside of the, the boundaries of, of the BHU campus, there's going to be like sandworms trying to get them. Um, which, which is like, it's a cool idea to think about, but it doesn't actually like, it doesn't follow through because it's still, it, it it's, tra- it's, it wants its cake and eat it and it wants to eat it too, which is like, it wants to have the cake of this dream logic-y hermetically sealed world. But it also wants to eat up all the yumminess of the outside world and Georgetown and, and the U S senators and like, uh, the Pacific Northwest and all and Seattle and the Seattle's and like this whole outside world that if it wasn't, so connected to would make the strange surreal nature of the college that much more interesting because right well and you could oh, yeah. go ahead well I was say, as a college itself it doesn't make any fucking sense well and you could make the sort of narrative uh argument that certainly in pretty little liars in high school you feel like this is your whole life every yes. that this the stakes are so high and this is your entire world is what's happening in this high school right. and what happened in third period. And likewise in college, like that feeling continues, you know, and there is like a bubble and a claustrophobia and like a lack of, uh, broader awareness mm-hmm. to that, to being young and to being in these, uh, academic situations. It's kind of like faux adulthood. Right. But the show doesn't, I don't think that's really the point of having, uh, you know, super villains torturing them. Right. You know, that's not really sort of the message of like, because the message that I would say you want to come across and the wisdom that you get as you get older is like, this isn't your whole world. This isn't, right. you know, you're going to move on from this and go do other things. And this is the, this is like, feels like you're in this bubble because that's the limitations of your current situation, mm-hmm. right? Of your youth or of your, you know, career or whatever. But the show doesn't really, you know, obviously the show is not trying to communicate like it's okay, you're going to get past this and sort of a more traditional coming of age message. The show is like saying the opposite. It's like you never leave. You are always trapped. You are always living with this trauma of your high school years. Yes. I mean, literally in this episode, you have Dylan's old uh, high school bully showing up on campus, you know, Mm -hmm. which has a twist. Fine. Uh, but that is kind of the message of the show. Like you cannot run this, you can't escape it. I, and that's like such a depressing, like unpleasant message. And why yes. do I want to watch that TV show? Why do I want to, I don't even think that's true. So why, why do I want to partake in this 
art anymore. So I I think that's how I feel about Game of Thrones as well. Um, but I do think that that's, it's a it's a poignant idea when you think about it. That this idea that like the 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 sealed nature of BHU is a sort of large uh, working metaphor for for what you said, which I think is a great idea, like for being trapped mm-hmm. within, um, you're like you're you're trapped by your past, you're trapped by your trauma, and you can't really break free of it, and it's always going to come and find you no matter where you go, and that could be said for Mona especially, right? Um, but I think the the way to move on from there for for a future season, which is not going to happen because based on the interview that I read with Marlene is to like have each season be a school year and have them spend significant time away from campus. But that breaks the, the spell right of the format, but it's like, but it's, but they're setting it up for that. So it's like right. in order, like if you're going to introduce to the outside world, then have them go experience it so that, so that it like, the pain of being stuck and trapped is more acute. Well, that's what was so interesting about the time jump in PLL. Right. Where I was just thinking about the time jump. Yeah. Where that was actually, I mean, one of the reasons why we kept watching Mm -hmm. was because that was done so effectively through the first half of that season. Right. Where you really felt like these characters have grown and changed and they're bringing them back with them. They finally broke free. They broke free of their trapped cycles of trauma absolutely and that's still part of them and they're still connected to these people they experience it with and they get drawn back in and so how are they going to deal with it now and that was a really interesting narrative tension and then of course the show decided to abandon all of that tension by coming up with a pretty wild villain but also just with having everyone get back to who they dated in high school and engineering everything to sort of please a, a portion of the fan base i guess Right. And it was just like you had you had this really wonderful setup that you were doing so well with, and then I feel like you blew it. Mm-hmm. And that's the dis- I mean that's what's disappointing to me about the show is like, Pretty Little Liars was so great for so long and is capable of such good ideas and it's capable of what we thought were you know deeper uh, thematic deeper themes. Allie and the show this episode is just not uh, the season. Of, of TV just never got to that level for me. And Ellie admits like essentially, you know, uh, I, I mean, we don't really have to recap anything, but basically, you know, it's revealed that the, that the, the a of the TV show is this person called the professor and, uh, the professor, you know, is like wants to move into phase two of this torture program. And that, the first part of that involves getting all of the the liar affectionists to admit what their deepest fear is. And Allie's deepest fear is that she's just a broken person who can't ever leave her broken life behind, can't ever grow. And it's like, that's what we've been waiting for her to say. And yet it's just, I don't know. It just, I was just like, great. But she and Mona are going to address this stuff by, just repeating the cycle of trying to solve by being the Scooby-Doo gang. Right. You know, it's like, how does that help you? It's like the show is not invested in these characters really growing. Well, which is why it makes me like, it's, it's like, it, it almost feels worse because it's like, 
they're they finally have the character saying the thing that we've always wanted her to say, which means that they're fucking aware of it, and yet they don't want to actually like deal with what that actually means. Right. Um. Well, be, yeah, yeah. It feels I mean, worse. I mean, really. Right. I mean, I just you know. Yeah, I think we've said probably everything we mm-hmm. need to. We can. I mean, we could continue microanalyzing, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the gist of the show is that it just uh, felt felt pretty tired, felt like it didn't want to go deeper into the characters and felt more driven by mm. sort of the plot uh, and these like very predictable twists than it did into really showing us richer character development, especially yeah. from our two uh, actual PLL characters who are the reason why anyone is watching, certainly the reason why I was watching the show. So I want to draw a comparison. I don't know if I really want to talk about Game of Thrones, but I do want to draw a comparison because I didn't bring it up. Um Assuming that I'm, I mean I'm done talking about this episode, but uh, you can we're, we're, you can turn this podcast off, folks. Yeah, so we're gonna, no, we're, we're gonna we'll we'll talk for a little. Well, more. I'm gonna draw some parallels between uh, uh, Pretty Little Liars, the Perfectionist, and and Game of Thrones. Obviously, if you I mean you can't talk about Game of Thrones without talking about spoilers. So whatever. Uh, I don't know if you're if if you've made it this far and you don't want to be spoiled for the end of Game of Thrones. I mean, I don't even know like why are you listening to us, but uh, essentially. You know, I've been reading a lot of um, uh, articles, well, not a lot of articles, but a, a lot of arguments online about people who like to the end of Game of Thrones. And the biggest argument that I keep reading over and over and over is that this has been the show all along. This is the, this is the inevitable ending of it because what Game of Thrones has always been about in both the TV show and the books and I've read all the books, is that it's a subversion of your typical fantasy tropes, your typical fantasy stories, where, you know, there is no there is no um, grand order or justice to the universe that bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, essentially, and that and that ultimately power corrupts. And so the whole idea behind a... Um, uh, a like some sort of patriarchal royal order is essentially false because anyone given as much uh, power as a king would ultimately be corrupted anyway. And that's what happened to Daenerys. And so basically saying like, you know, you know, uh, people who don't like what happened to Daenerys just can't accept that this character who for them embodied female empowerment is still empowered but she's corrupted by power and that was always set up in her and it's like you know what maybe but but like what's the fucking point of that do I, do i really need to spend eight seasons watching this tv show to watch um the inevitable happen i don't like there's nothing pleasing about that there's nothing i don't feel like that's earned you're essentially setting up a, you're you're basically saying that the reason that this is a good episode is because it fulfills the thesis of this television show. Right. And it's like, fuck that. That's not good storytelling. I don't care. I don't, you, you can't convince me that that was good TV by telling me that it just fulfilled its inevitable conclusion anyway. That is not to me dramatically earned or compelling at all. And I don't think that there's, I mean, 
I don't even feel like it's worth talking about Daenerys. What I really want to talk about is like the other characters who were fucked by that same situation. Right. Jamie and Tyrion and Cersei. Right. And fucking Arya and Sansa and Bran. Like all of these characters whose uh especially Jamie, like whose whole arc just brings them back to the exact same spa- place which may be inevitable, but it's not good storytelling. Right. It just feels obligatory. And to me, spending eight seasons to come to an obligatory conclusion is fucking bullshit. And I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. The thing that here's here's my little theory about the ending and the thing that has convinced me in my mind that if this, if my reading of it is true, which I don't think it is, but here's a reading of it that makes it, work for me a little more um so at the end of the isaac asimov book foundation and earth Mm -hmm. i don't know if you read that uh i've only read the first foundation book so okay so So, i know i know know the 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 plot there's sort of the first three which he wrote you know kind of closer together and then there's a couple more and then he wrote some prequels but four and five kind of get deeper out hundreds of years later Mm -hmm. and at the very end of five Essentially, I don't want to give any spoilers even, mm-hmm. but basically uh, it's such a wonderful book. But basically there's this situation where this guy who has been sort of given the the uh, opportunity to kind of choose the direction for all of mankind, to choose the next step and how it's going to protect itself against aliens getting to the galaxy or, or whatever. Um, he's basically faced with this kid who uh, essentially is like a mutant or has, is from this group of humans who were isolated and kind of became psychic i'm probably misremembering it a little bit but essentially this kid who uh is no longer quite human Mm -hmm. essentially has gone beyond and he the last couple paragraphs of the of the book are like he he's looking at uh this character phallum and think and says something like it's not as if the enemy we should have enough time to get ready and it's not as if the enemy you know was was already here with us and the book, you know, it basically strongly hints that he's looking at this this person who is not quite human, who's something a little bit different, uh, something other, yeah. and has this power and is potentially scary. And that was, I, I, I don't know, I was a big Asimov fan as a kid, and so that really stuck in my mind. as like, what a, well, what a, like, crazy, disorienting conclusion to this, you know, five-book right. odyssey. And he never, he wrote more Foundation things, but never went back to that point of the plot, right? Mm. And it made me think about Bran. Because Bran's behavior in the finale is wild to me because you have this whole setup of him getting his powers, learning about them, still having this very human kind of sense of curiosity and and so on. And all we've seen of him really since he gets back, the, the show transitions really abruptly from him being like, I'm a human boy who has to learn how to become the three eyed Raven now versus skipping ahead to the point where he is like this transformed thing essentially he has become something other it basically pivots around the whole hodor thing right like after the after everything with hodor he basically turns into like this mute weirdo right and so to me that maybe this is coming with too much pop culture baggage but to me it's like i couldn't tell if like okay have you taken on sort of the personality of this previous raven is that are you sharing maybe some consciousness is this something that goes along with the role of this power which it's unclear, like, is this power given to you? Did you already have it and just need it to be trained? So, like, what exactly the sort of 
three-eyed raven responsibility and power and so on is what that means is left unclear you yeah. know intentionally that's that's fine but it almost feels like he has some kind of uh watcher-esque the character the the watchers from marvel comics mm-hmm. uh sense of uh non-involvement right, right, right because right. he's not telling you can't affect what, ha- what he, he, he you know he manages to get he, obviously he's here to he manages to get the night king killed off but then you know he lets danny's dragon die yeah that's something he presumably could have prevented and so everything that happens that, l- that leads up to him becoming king you sort of have to read as uh intentional and thus plot and so it becomes a question of are you making these decisions? Yeah. Who is making these decisions? Is this sort of supposed to be read as fate or is this supposed to be read as your human ambition? Because under this sort of weird passive character personality change, yeah. are you actually still just uh, a, a human person with an, with agency? Right. Or if not, what sort of special knowledge or divine wisdom or whatever are you operating with? And so I choose well, he to... Does, he does say like when... Uh, when he's made king, he does say like to Tyrion, and and that and that one scene, it's like, I, like why do you think I came down here in the first place? Like right. he knew this was going to happen. Right, he knew he saw the whole thing, and so to me, if you read him as there's no actual, I don't think there's actual hinting of malevolence in the episode mm-hmm. about when he becomes king, when he's rolling so. around, like right. you know, none of it. There's no sense of like something bad has happened. This was not how it was supposed to be. There's no sense of that whatsoever. So I don't want to read into it too much, Mm -hmm. but a reading of it that works for me is like, he's the villain. This was everything that happened. He was the reason he set up Danny to become the mad queen. Right. This is, this is, uh, I mean, he's the person who learned, although it was a surprise to him that John was actually, who he was. Mm-hmm. So that sort of disarms my, my thinking a little bit that somehow he, this guy's capable of knowing Arya is going to kill the night King and has some vision of the future in which he becomes King, but also seems to be genuinely surprised uh, when Sam tells him, Oh yeah, actually John, this is, this was a marriage. You didn't see this. He's actually the legitimate heir. Or, I mean, again, is that all just set up so that he, Sam can be, feel some agency about it. So the, the reading of the show in which Bran is the villain and all the, all the like bad choices of the last season are because of his plotting is interesting to me. And it made me the reason I, I think I thought about the foundation thing is because first he's a surreal character, but essentially he's empowered by the children of the forest mm-hmm. whose lands were invaded by man yeah. and who fought with man and who created the night King to kill them. And then the night King is only a problem for them because he, you know, decided to kill everybody, right. the, all the living. Yeah. And so they had to team up and compromise with the, uh, with men right. to fight them off, right. which they've now achieved. Yeah. Right. So what I would, I mean, to me, like the dream ending would be, there's a scene at the end where, where Bran is dreaming and he sees leaf or he sees one of these, one of the children of the forest mm-hmm. and, and they just like smile at each other. And there's some hint that like, something else has happened here. Yeah. Like we, like we, we, like we did it. Right. Right. Exactly. And so because of the lack of clarity around his powers and all this stuff, it's like, and, and even the stuff about like, 
okay, his power presumably comes from the old gods, but also the Lord of Light is a thing. And, and that, how that, that doesn't really matter. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter in the prophecies, and none of that really gets untangled, uh, which, you know, you're, it's fine. You can see it as murky, whatever. But so that reading of it where Bran is the villain and maybe it ties back into this broader mythology, uh, I, I don't think the show actually says that. No. But that would be interesting to me if that was the ending and it would it would make his ending um feel a lot better for me well see even then um i'm trying to think of movies or tv shows that i could apply in a different way i just i don't i don't particularly like the idea that the results of things are because of fate or destiny right because to me that just feels like a lot of wasted time because it's like if the whole point is that we're all brought to this place inevitably, as I mentioned, then what's the fucking point? Right. Like if, if, if these arcs are preordained, then, then there's no growth. There's no agency. Right. I'm trying to think of other I mean, mo- this was, this movies was like or TV shows that like have handled this in a really, in a better way. Lost. It's lost. Because this was like, I mean, back before Lost was like, became the worst show on TV one of the things that made it so compelling was there was a real philosophical, like high stakes philosophy was being argued on lost. Like, mm. is it faith or is it science? You faith know, versus is, science. It, is it fate or is it agency? Yeah. And the show did a really good job of dealing with those themes before it sort of got bogged down into not knowing what to do with its own plot. And, and before it just became magic. <laughs> it was all yeah. magic. <laughs> yeah. And game of Thrones, I think doesn't, I don't think it cares, you know, no. like, well, we have these prophecies and it's murky and there's this magic and it doesn't really matter. And yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think I, I agree with that. Um, uh, I think that, you know, and just to talk about lost, like say what you want about because lost is being brought up a lot and especially with people. Cause I think the, the, the general discourse surrounding game of Thrones is that most people are not pleased with how it ended. Right which I think is valid. Um, I don't think it's fair to bring up other TV shows who haven't ended as well, because I think for a lot of uh, TV shows, like I think about all of the, like all the big endings, um, you know, from Seinfeld to Sopranos to Breaking Bad to um, Six Feet Under uh, to Deadwood, which is getting a TV uh, movie um, because to Carnival, there's a lot of HBO um, shows that have had endings, but, um, you know, lost is being brought up a lot because it is notoriously known for a bad last season and especially a bad ending. I kind of like the ending of lost, but I'm also not like going to sit down and defend it or anything. I just, I don't know. I was emotionally affected by it, I guess, but I liked the last episode. I didn't think that was the problem at all. I thought the ideas in there were totally fine and interesting. I thought like the first six or seven episodes where they introduced new villains and have the smoke monster kill them off in two seconds was like you were shamelessly killing time. Yeah. Like you literally could have just put up a, a, you know, a a card, a title card saying, we don't know what the fuck to do with the rest of the season. We're just going to zip through half the season right now and call it a day. And the reason I bring that up is because, um, I want to, um, point to another Damon Lindelof property 
that I think did successfully deal with all these things. The leftovers. The leftovers, which I think is a fantastic TV show, and I think ended. I really love how it ended. Um, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it, but essentially, you know, the the premise of the show is that all these people disappeared. There was like a rapture, but it was unexplained. It just happened. And so you have all of these people dealing with this massive loss and not knowing where these people went. Um, I mean, it's almost like the Avengers. It's just kind of like they just disappeared and you just have to deal with what that means, which is you just lost these people and you have no explanation for why that happened. Now in the Avengers, I think it's like somehow it's like it. people are like, you know, there's this guy named Thanos and he snapped everybody away. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? Let us explain to you that the supervillain was able to, through magic right um but in the leftovers it's it is just these people disappeared and but that's the whole point of the show which i think is a really really intelligent um treatise on grief and what it means to have no explanation for this massive event that just destroyed your life right and i mean that's like an incredible metaphor to make a, I mean, this, this is like what science fiction is for, right? Right, to give you this sort of surreal, exaggerated version of something that we all deal with, that we can all relate to. And at the end of, and so you know, I, I remember saying on this podcast before the leftovers ended that I don't want them to explain what happened because it would ruin the show. And they found a way to kind of explain what happened without ruining that core idea, that mystery, because you kind of, you kind of figure out what they like it kind of explain what happened but it doesn't in any way actually explain what happened so there's still that mystery of like this wasn't destiny this wasn't preordained this wasn't like some uh uh some like god making this happen it just just it was a thing that happened and even if you know what happened you still have to deal with the ultimate mystery of it and what and what your place is and all of that. And I think that's a really wonderful way to do it, to deal with the idea of, like, destiny. And it's just, like... And then you have a show like Game of Thrones, which wants to deal with the idea of destiny and, like, inevitability. And essentially its whole point is that the only thing that is sure is that nothing is sure. Right, except for the guy who knows everything, who's seen all of human history, <laughs> and either through vision or just having more access to information than anyone ever, is able to then manipulate people and and uh, become the king of the seven six kingdoms. Right. You know? It's like, that's, that's just so fucking stupid, is you have this guy who fucking knows everything, and... You have you have like a, you have a character who literally can see and know everything, and yet somehow you have to just push your way through all of it. I like it's I don't know. It feels well, like pretty. It's, it's just like how it just it gets to the point where okay, so he becomes the king. Mm -hmm. Is that? I mean, again, it gets back to the idea of like, is he being led by some some wiser? intelligence some all some forces outside of himself or is this him just like being given this power in order to protect men and killing off the night king and being like oh cool what else can i do you know right. and he says he doesn't want to be king but like then why are you king why did you set yourself up for this to happen or is it fate like it really does bring up these questions without having any interest in grappling with them 
especially when it has the whole thing of like Danny thought that she was she could do no wrong because she you know went through fire and had these dragons and so right. she was like driven by uh magic and and purpose and whatever and but then you have it, it's not saying that this stuff is wrong or doesn't matter because then you have Bran who essentially has a very similar journey mm-hmm. you know right I mean I I understand what I understand why they like why Tyrion picked Bran I just, it just, it's just, it feels dumb. It doesn't feel like that, like, it feels like a, um, I don't, don't want to be insulting. It just feels like a first draft for a, a lot of ideas where it's like, so we got to pick the one guy who doesn't want power because everyone wants power and power corrupts. So we got to find the one guy who doesn't want power. And it's like, but, great. But does he not? A, you know? Right. I mean, he wanted to be the three-eyed raven. Right. He wanted to have. He wanted to win on this cold. Well, cold I don't think he wanted to, to be the Three Eye Raven. I think that he. I mean, essentially, you could say that that Jamie pushing him out of the window set the whole series, like sets right. everything in motion. Right. And so, him becoming the Three Eye Raven was ordained from that moment. Right. Um. But I don't think that it really matters, and I think it's it is way more interesting to think that he has agency in this, and that he that he does want that power. Also, like the end of the fucking TV show is, uh, and I think it's played as a joke, but it's like fucking weird how basically Bran is like, all right, so you guys you guys uh, rule the kingdom. I'm gonna go and like uh, trip balls and look for this fucking dragon. Right. And it's like, is that what you're going to do as king? You're just going to go into some sort of uh, trance and look for a dragon? Right. There's no sense of how he's going to rule, of how he's going to help anyone. Yeah. And it's like, you have, yeah, why was why is that the ending? Right. Why don't you show him, show how, what kind of king he's going to be? Right. Because knowing everything is has nothing to do with any kind of morality or... It's just like you just have access to information. Well, he shows up and he's like, I see that there's no, you know, master of whispers and there's no some, somebody else. But it's like, yeah, but didn't you already fucking know that? Like, didn't well, yeah, you know that you, before you showed the fuck up? At yeah, the you, table? I mean, but also like <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's not like an observation that has anything to do with. Right. I mean, you would just make that as the king. You're like, oh, we need people to sit in these seats. And why does, you know, like this is like now just nitpicking, but that whole last scene, it's like, why is, why is Braun the fucking master of coin that makes no sense make him like make him the head of the goddamn army or something i don't know he's good at fighting like so you're awarding him the master of as the master of coin someone who is notoriously bad with money uh when um he basically threatened to kill you if he didn't get some sort of outsized reward right, it's like right the, so you give him the, one of the highest positions in the kingdom. It's like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. I, I think the thing that bugged me the most, aside from what they did with Danny, which it just sucks. Uh, but the other thing was that when Tyrion comes before like the council or whatever, and he's like, well, listen, we got to just throw out our whole form of government and just make it an oligarchy or whatever. Uh, and an oligarchy like, ruled by an AI computer. Right. And everyone's just <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, this seems cool, whatever. War is bad. Okay, fine. Um, but the fact that he doesn't even mention who John really is, like mm-hmm. purposefully, because he's like, yeah, I guess that guy shouldn't be king, mm-hmm. but also his brother should be king. Like, I don't know. It bugged me that we get all this way with John's identity and 
it would be relevant to bring up in this discussion. And none of them, including Arya and Sansa, are like, I think you all should know this thing. Right. It's relevant to right. the line of secession. Right. It, just, I don't know. It was just like, it would have come up. Someone would have whole, mentioned it. it they they the all, whole, they yeah. would have all kept it a secret. Right. It's like, yeah. So yeah. Right. And it's just like, well, we should probably mention this just so we can get moved past it and, you know, forge this new society. But, um, I mean, none of that makes sense. Why didn't Grey Worm kill John as soon as he discovered that uh, he murdered Danny? Like, right. Well, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. Why did he keep him alive? Why didn't uh, Why didn't he kill Tyrion? I mean, he's fucking murdering people in the streets just for being aligned with Lannisters. Right. Why wouldn't he just murder John? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um. Why Why did they agree to send John to the Wall when they knew Grey Worm was going to leave anyway? Grey Worm, fuck, Grey Worm fucking leaves before John even leaves King's Landing. Right. So like, right. And granted, like he goes up to the Wall just to basically, you know, hop on a horse and go north with Tormund. But um, if I was John, I'd just be like, "Fuck you! I'm not going to the Wall. Go f- sail to Noth or whatever the fuck. Like, fuck you! I'm gonna like, I'm gonna go live up in the north with my sister." Right. And I'll be a, you know, I can finally get a good night's sleep or something. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just... the, the thing about it, the thing about a TV show, I guess it depends on how many episodes end up being bad. Right. Because it's mm-hmm. like, to me, somebody made the analogy uh, on Facebook today of like, you know, it's like when there's a bad song at the end of an album, you know, and that's basically how I feel about it. Like most of this was an extremely yeah. enjoyable watchable show which i would even think about watching again and really really liked you know and the fact that it ended poorly in like Mm -hmm. what seemed like a pretty series of sloppy bad choices so i could wrap it up you know that's it's fine it doesn't ruin doesn't mean the other episodes were bad um whereas when i watch a movie where the ending's bad that's more like you're listening to a song and then it goes south on you Right, right right you know because right. you can't disconnect the first. Well, the first half was good, and then it fell apart. Like you can't really feel like you enjoyed the movie mm-hmm. if twenty minutes of your hour and a half movie is shitty. Yeah, I mean the the final episode of Game of Thrones is like episode seventy two or something. Like that's seventy two hours of television. Yes, that's... although we have more podcast episodes. <laughs> there is more. There is, yeah, there is more, uh, if you wanted to start from the beginning with us, it would take you longer to listen to us than it would to watch you, for you to watch all of Game of Thrones. Or all of, yes, it's true. Uh, and actually you should go and watch all, at least watch most of Game of Thrones rather than listen to every episode of our podcast. <laughs> I know. That would be a more, that would be a better cultural experience. <laughs> uh, this is probably a good time to say thanks for listening. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes. Yeah. You can give us a review. Um, I don't think we're going to talk any more about PLL and on future podcasts and I don't, we don't have a schedule. And, uh, my, my thinking is that we probably are just going to be on hiatus until something interesting comes up that we want to talk about. And then we will return to this channel and talk about whatever we want. But, uh, yeah. I guess this season of the pod, as far as I'm concerned is, is concluded. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're on Twitter at PLGM podcast. Um, We'll still be checking in, you know, if you want to tweet at us and uh, let us know what you think, you know. Um, Tell us about your emotional journey watching this TV show with us. Mm-hmm. Any of these TV shows. <laughs> it's true. And, that, you know, maybe if you want us to, like, uh, if you really want us to talk about something uh, that's not PLL related, 
or or PLL related. I, I recently saw the movie Her Smell, uh, the Alex Ross Perry movie uh, starring Elizabeth Moss, um, and Ashley Benson is in it. Nice. Um, which I believe there have been, I don't know if the rumors are still uh, uh, salient or not, but um, there have been rumors of Ashley Benson sort of having a fling with uh, Cara Delevingne, uh, St. Vincent's old girlfriend. Yes, yes. Um, and I believe they met on Her Smell because they play uh, two women in a sort of a punk band, an alternative band together. Um, it's a pretty good movie. I recommend it. Uh, Elizabeth Moss, is, if if anything, it's worth watching because Elizabeth Moss is, is pretty stupendous in it. We can talk about stuff like that. We can talk about all the things that, you know, I was... Things I was, we actually like. I was sent a I was sent a a link to a movie that Troyan is in, uh, that I have not watched and I don't really want to watch it. But apparently, it's about the discovery of a new inhabitable planet, and it also is involved at, uh, intertwined with her uh, having a new relationship with this fucking new astrophysicist or some shit. I don't know. Astrophysicist Toby. <laughs> I mean, maybe who knows. <laughs> he's a cop. He might as well be an astrophysicist. It's just Toby. Just he's just exploring his options. Um, he builds his own house. Uh, you know, uh, Lucy Lucy Hale's been doing stuff. Um, Shay's been doing some stuff. I don't know. They're yeah. living their. They're just living their fucking lives. Yeah. Man. Well, so you know, don't don't delete us from your phones. We'll stay on this channel if we do some more stuff. And uh, I do really appreciate. Um, people who who have been listening and who mm-hmm. have been so nice to us on Twitter and um, you know we just we just do this for fun and uh, would do it anyway but I do look at the numbers every week and uh, I I hope that we're giving some value uh, to folks who have made it this far into the into the show and into this episode and uh, that makes me feel really great that we that that someone else besides us is is enjoying us you know mm-hmm. enjoying our brains melting on this on this thing <laughs> every week. Yeah, and just to say some last minute thank you, thank yous, thank you to Norman for being so nice to us and having dinner with us and letting us come to set. Thank you to Phil Nelson for all the music on our show. Thank you to Sarah Trahan for our uh, our podcast logo. Um, thank you to you, the listener. You're great. You know what? Just you're great. I, I love you all. <laughs> and uh, and you know what? And and we'll let you know if we're coming back. But uh, until then, act normal. Act normal, act bitches. Act normal, bitches. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, we can't finish the episode yet. Okay, why? Oh, yeah. Okay. What did we forget? We we got to do one last uh, fake beer sponsor. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause. We're gonna hear the bumper music. <laughs> It just wouldn't be pretty little grown men without <laughs> fake beer sponsors. That's true. Thanks to Phil Nelson, uh, as I already said, for that music. Um, so I drank two beers over the course of tonight. One, uh, while we were watching the episode, was a uh, a, a Pelican IPA, um, something I've had numerous times on the show. I recently went to, um, uh, to the coast and uh, near Tillamook and uh, went to the... Uh, 
the Oceanside um, uh, Pelican Brew Pub. I had, uh, which is really nice, right on the beach. Um, really pretty. Uh, I had some oyster shooters that I think gave me a stomach bug because I was extremely sick the next day. Yeah. Um, it wasn't what I would call food poisoning. It wasn't like I was, you know, like everything was coming out of both ends or anything. But I did feel not very good the next day. And I think so there's, the only thing I can think of is that it was those oysters. Um, uh, but Pelican, wonderful. Great, great, great brewery. Good for them. Uh, the beer that I was drinking uh, that you heard me open at the beginning of this episode is the Breakside Stay West IPA, another great IPA from a great local Portland brewery. Um, and uh, uh, I fully support both of those breweries and beers. As usual, I was drinking a fizzy water from LaCroix, and that's I drink three a day. Uh, on a good that's a good day that's mm-hmm. a really nice day when i can when i can be generous enough to myself to get three uh i was drinking key lime and after probably drinking literally 200 of them i'm pretty sick of it and <laughs> i switched back to the grapefruit one and i do think honestly the trader joe's berry is the best of the fizzy waters mm. but you can't get it in a can and i really like the can format and i don't think any of the other ones are as good yeah as the Lacroix. um so going to be drinking this grapefruit for a while until i'm sick of this and then maybe key lime will start tasting good again i went to the grocery store today and i got both of those i got a sleeve of each one mm-hmm. pamplemousse and uh key lime i mean are any of the other flavors are they is there even anything worthwhile besides these two i mean the um the cran raspberry is pretty good yeah cran raspberry i think is is close but uh, those those two are the best we've already discussed key lime is the best flavor yeah yeah um by far um, it kind of reminds me of when I was in like high school and I was eating raisin bran for breakfast every day. Mm. And just after like literally years of, cause my, that's what my dad eats every day. Mm. And after years of like eating raisin bran hundreds and hundreds of times, <laughs> I finally got to the point where I was just like, Oh my God, I can't, I literally cannot eat this anymore. Yeah. I'm so goddamn sick of it. Yeah. I know. I've, I've, I've been there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I used to do that with, um, I've been I've been switching trying to switch up my cereals between like Honey Nut Cheerios and Raisin Bran. Um, my wife told me oh, we can't get Raisin Bran Crunch anymore because she thinks that we eat, or that I eat too much uh, sugary yeah, cereals. Yeah, it, it is super sugary. I mean, I eat oatmeal for breakfast now every day, yeah. plain, mm-hmm. just oatmeal and not instant or whatever. Yeah. And I just put blueberries on it. Right. I mean, usually I have like for breakfast I actually have like a. Um, like some toast and something like something uh, or like a bagel or something, which even then it's like, that's a lot of fucking carbs. Yeah. You know, um, I don't judge. Know, whatever. Yeah. They're good. The, the, car- <laughs> I, the carbs are my, you know, I eat a lot of bread. I know. It's uh, yeah. fine. Everyone eats I mean, it's not bread. really fine. It, it's we're fine. all, we're all like Oprah. We just love bread. It's yeah. I love bread. What can I say? <laughs> I like grain. <laughs> Speaking of bread, um, uh, that th- thank you for listening to our last uh, fake beer sponsors. Um, we unfortunately, over the course of eighty-eight episodes, never got an actual beer sponsor. We did have like one or two little nibbles where there was going to yeah. be some, there was like a somebody emailed about doing something, or a beer company was interested on a brewery was like interested on Twitter. But then they never, did research and realized yeah, what we actually were. Yeah, never <laughs> responded to the episode. Yeah, they're like, oh, maybe we don't need to do an advertisement on a show. You know, aimed at teenagers or whatever. Well, you know what? Hey, 
we're going to go out with one thing, let's just go out by saying, just drink beer. It doesn't matter what age you are. <laughs> that this is see this now you're getting into Dana Booker territory. <laughs> Just doing crimes. Just, I'm just flaunting the just law. Don't worry about Whatever. it. Whatever. Hey, you don't need you don't need to be a cop to uh, to to put people people in jail and give them the what for, um, you know. So whatever. Just enjoy life while you got it. If you're dr- drink beer when you're underage. Old enough. Old enough. Don't do bad <laughs> things when you're underage. That's what we learned from Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> yes, that's exactly that's what, what we've learned. That's one of the messages that we've learned. From this <laughs> if yeah, if we're gonna come away from from our podcast with one lesson, it's that wait wait till you're of age to do bad things, right? You too can be as your fits again, <laughs> get away with everything. Oh, for fuck's sake, uh, that's a dark moment to go out on. Well, you know, as Mona said, we need something a little stronger. Whiskey, neat. Keeping. I know what you're keeping. I know what you're keeping.